This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 532, Save and Enrich Your Intimacy Without Losing Yourself. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. Joining me today is an esteemed colleague, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who is an expert in exactly what we're talking about today, how to save and enrich your intimacy without losing yourself in the process. Dr. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is a hot topic. Yeah. Intimacy, right? And sexuality, that's been part of your educational background. Your academic work has been in this area. Yes. Um, but you've also got some clinical experience and you do a lot right now to train and provide information to people about this tricky topic of sexuality yeah. and intimacy. Yes, that's right. Why are you yeah. doing this? <laughs> Great question. Well, you know, I'll give you the short story. But so I grew okay. up as a Latter-day Saint and learned a kind of conservative sexual ethic that has a lot of upside, right? A, a kind of valuing of yes. sexuality, highlighting of the importance of commitment and so on, and really actually a kind of overt valuing of sex. But I, as I was starting to do clinical work and was looking for a dissertation topic, was also very aware of religious people who were really struggling around the question of whether or not the body, sexuality, pleasure, is a good thing. And therefore, mm -hmm. even though marriage was highly valued, marriages were struggling because of it. So right. I also at the same time was asked to teach. I was at Boston College, and I, which is a Jesuit university. I was asked to teach the undergrads a human sexuality class. So I was getting a lot of essays written by Catholic students and seeing a lot of the anxieties there. And so I just wanted to better understand, right, what was a religious woman's experience of sexual agency? Did she feel she belonged to her body? Was pleasure okay? So I wrote my mm -hmm. dissertation, did my research on this, but I've done a lot of focus on both educating people around the challenges of intimacy, both sexual and emotional, the challenge of exactly as your title is pointing to, this challenge of how do we belong to ourselves and belong to another person? How do we share who we mm -hmm. are without feeling like we're becoming invisible or disappearing in that? Or how do we handle if someone doesn't want to share themselves with us, that is our spouse, right? How do you how do you handle the challenges of of that tension between solitude and togetherness? So mm -hmm. I've done a lot of training around this, postdoctoral training, and just work with these issues and working with couples around these issues. You know, as you mentioned, your conservative religious upbringing, and I share that culture and religion. Yes. 
as yes. a member of the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints myself. Yes. Uh, it, it's interesting to me that in in this and a lot of religious um, groups, yes. mm-hmm. it, it's almost a double message because Absolutely. there's there's very strict prohibitions and yeah. and guidelines and standards around That's sexuality right. that sometimes sound like sex is bad, sex is dirty, sex is right. evil. Absolutely. And then in the next breath, save it for someone you love. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why would you right. save the worst <laughs> stuff for the best people? Yeah, right. Exactly. But right. it gets in our head and it creates these... Um, belief sets yes or or thought patterns that can be counterproductive when it comes to enjoying healthy intimacy and sexuality later on that's right and it's not you know it's not just a religious challenge but but there is this kind of even freud talked about the id and the superego which is this a similar challenge like the mm. id is the impulse in the body and the desire and the superego is the thing that's trying to shame it into compliance and right. so it's not unusual to be educated in that kind of framing like you're bad if you want pleasure you're bad if you you know don't manage all impulses but growing into ego which is a more integrated place that you can integrate the body integrate the desire for pleasure, but also live in line with your highest standards, live in line with what you respect, what is actually loving, fair, kind, decent, right? It's that integration that can be challenging, especially if you are educated by people who are afraid of sexuality, who haven't sorted it out themselves. They're going to give you a lot of fear-based messaging, perhaps even well-intentioned Right. But it will interfere because if you're doing it out of anxiety, fear, trepidation, it interferes with an integration. It interferes with your ability to choose wisely because you're going to always be in this either kind of repressive ethic or indulgent ethic. You're vacillating between the two. Mm. Mm -hmm. With with some of the inherent moral attachments that go with it, too. Yes. I've seen an interesting dilemma there. I'm I'm sure you've seen this as you've worked with couples as well, Jennifer, where there mm-hmm. are uh there there's a difference, for example, in the sexual desire yes. or in in the mindset around sexuality. Yes. Uh between the two people who are in the relationship together. Yes. And one or the other, and sometimes both, often both, start to think something's wrong with me. Absolutely. I, I want this too much or I don't want yes. it at all or Yes. And so those time. conflicts come mm-hmm. up and it's it's very common in those relationships. What have you noticed Absolutely. along those lines or what? Yeah, what well very much what you're there? saying, the kind of, you know, again, a lot of people feel this deep fear of sexuality and now they get married and it's legit now supposedly, but they haven't actually integrated it. They haven't actually come to terms with their sexuality. Even the high desire person often hasn't come to terms with their sexuality. They're wanting their partner to legitimize it and make it okay. And so Mm -hmm. when that anxiety is there, and again, it's normal, uh, it's not unusual for people to not be at peace with their bodies, especially when they're young. Mm -hmm. But when you're anxious about sexuality, well, then it's very hard to create any intimacy with it. Because intimacy is actually, I will let you know me. 
and I want to know you. But if you're terrified mm -hmm. of the very thing they're going to know about you, right, or terrified of knowing their sexuality, you're going to try to keep sex as non-intimate as possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> And so a lot of people maybe get through the act of sex, but they're trying to minimize the exposure in it. They don't want to talk about it afterwards. They don't want to actually communicate. They don't want to actually say, hey, I really like this or I don't like this. Or let me tell you what I think about sometimes when we're having sex. They're like, no, I, you know, let's, uh -huh. let's not do that. And so it gets really easy to step into a frame of servicing or being accommodated or, you know, some other version that makes it less personal. So, for example, a lot of women right. are kind of taught the idea that if you're a good wife, and this is kind of traditional culture and traditional religious culture, but if you're a good wife, you will take care of your husband's needs. Men are naturally sexual, good women are not, but good women are self-sacrificing, and so they're happy to accommodate him and take care of his needs. Well, a lot of people almost want that idea because it makes it less intimate. It's not about me. I'm just helping you out, right? <laughs> I don't have to know my sexuality. Right. And I don't have to really let you. And I can still be the kind of virginal, you know, needless, wantless ideal, feminine ideal that I've been taught mm. I should be. And a man can also take comfort in the idea that he has needs because it also makes it less intimate. You know, it, it's sort of like, well, it's not me. It's my body. Mm. You know, It's, it's all biology. Not, yeah, exactly. But then when it gets in that kind of power struggle, it, it 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 feels soulless. It feels, okay, maybe I'm being accommodated, but am I desired? Am I received? Am I wanted by my wife, by my lower mm -hmm. desire partner, if it's a wife or a husband? So it's, you know, who, these are the ways that we are afraid of the exposure in sex, afraid of the exposure in marriage, often look for ways to minimize it, but then undermine the growth of the marriage undermine the freedom in the marriage or freedom in the sexual relationship. And at its core, good marital sexuality is a place of freedom. It's a place of mm. playfulness. But if we're anxious about sex in general, anxious about who we are, feel like we have something to apologize for, and sometimes we do, okay? Like, I don't mean that everybody's <laughs> dealing with their sexuality in good ways, okay? But yeah. that, but if you don't deal with your sexuality and live in line with what you believe is actually good and loving and fair and kind, well, then it will interfere with the happiness and the aliveness of the couple. And that's something mm -hmm. we all want. You know, we're falling in love. We feel that spark, that aliveness. And then we hope, okay, we can lock that in. But depending on how we function in marriage, we can kill that flame or we can make it stronger. It's interesting to me also that from the inside, it looks different than mm -hmm. it does from the outside. So you and I as professionals, for example, mm -hmm. we can meet with a couple in our office or whatever, mm -hmm. and, and we can see it from a certain perspective. Mm -hmm. And from the inside, it looks and feels very different. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times there's a, I mentioned this earlier, yes. kind of an innate sense of there's something wrong with me. Yes. Right. That, that accompanies Absolutely. these per perceptions and the roles right. that you talked about, some of the cultural or traditional roles yes. that get assigned to a husband, a wife, or yes. a man or a woman, yes. or however those are delineated. That's right. 
Definitely. Could you speak to that for just a minute? That sense well, yeah. of self that's inside of that and the 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 fear maybe that I'm flawed, there's something wrong oh. with me. One of the things that people have told me has been the most helpful about the programs I run is just to normalize. Like, you know, I do a, a, a right. retreat called the Art of Desire. It's a women's retreat. And everybody shows up kind of, you know, afraid, like what's going to happen here? And, yeah, is this going to be a little weird? You know, or the couples <laughs> retreats, the same thing. Like, why are you here? Like, I know, you know, like <laughs> there's just this kind of fear that there's something, you know, weird about all of us or whatever. But as soon as people start talking, it's just suddenly like, wow, I'm not alone. Like these are challenges that are right. normal and very human. I think that's tremendously helpful because what happens in the absence of that is that we project what we think we're supposed to be as a kind of self-defense, but then we become, we start basically creating the problem. So that is to say a lot of men who are low desire, I have often joked, it would be hard to get men to show up to men with low desire camp, you know, or whatever, <laughs> because it feels like, oh, that would make me broken in some fundamental way. Right. Where if I struggle right. with a low desire wife, that's okay. That's an acceptable issue to be having. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so my point is that a lot of times what's actually happening, we hide from each other because we are afraid we're uniquely defective. And in reality, these are very human challenges that lots of human beings are having. And if we could get a little more honest about it, we might actually do a better job of solving some of these things. I'm curious to, to just prick your brain for a minute yeah. about where do you start? Yeah. Uh, let's say that some of our listeners are are really hearing what we're talking about here yeah. and relating to it, because I know you are, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, I uh -huh. mean, welcome to Earth. This yeah. is how human beings operate. But Jennifer, when yeah. you are working with a couple, for example, yeah. or even an individual who's got some of these um, concerns, where do you typically start or where would you yeah. encourage them to start? Well, you know, one of the ways that, so there's doing individual work and then there's also doing work in sort of in a group setting. You know, I have a podcast where I'm actually working with couples anonymously, but that's very helpful because people can listen in and then they can talk to, to each in. other. They can hear mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, that they have the exact same challenge we have, but they can also talk to other listeners and learners. And that really helps. But if I'm working in a more, you know, solitary way where I'm working with just a couple, what I want to do is start getting truths on the table between them that they keep skirting and avoiding. Because as much as we say, well, we love the truth and the truth sets us free and all those things, it's mm -hmm. much easier to say those things than to live them, right? Because in reality, most of us are terrified of the truth <laughs> and we don't want <laughs> and we say it sets us free, but really it kind of rakes us over the coals and maybe eventually will set us free. But, you know, it's like, it's hard. Couples are good at colluding often in not dealing with difficult things. Mm -hmm. Right. And so because we don't like growth, because it scares us, because we're afraid of the truth that we feel about our partner, but we don't want to name. Um, and so it's helping couples to start bringing, having the courage, the faith to bring, to say not indulgent truths, not like I get to say this uh, to actually make you feel bad, but the things that you know are there that need to be dealt with more constructively. Because when people start to mm -hmm. speak more honestly, 
it's it can hurt a bit. It can feel scary. It can, you know, feel like the thing you kept hoping wasn't true. But once it's on the table, people actually take some relief in it because they're not trying to run from the truth anymore. And now it's there for their minds to actually deal with and solve. And that's what allows people's functioning to go up is by mm. dealing with what is, right? Not with what they want things to be. And a lot of times what right. we do in society or in religious cultures or wherever, we will we will offer up our ideals. Now, there's nothing wrong with ideals. Ideals are very important for any society to have. But sometimes what we do is we pretend ideals that are actually anti-ideals. They actually interfere. So Instagram, you know, it's like all the most, you know, edited, perfected images of like, this is how everybody else is supposedly living. It's very unhelpful. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but if we think more about the ideal of living honestly, the ideal of being fair, the ideal of having compassion for our humanity while continuing to grow... These are the kinds of ideals that we can gravitate more towards the more truth that we have in front of us. I've, I've seen that not only with my clients, but mm. I, I happen to be a human being myself too. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it, to face the harsh realities. Yeah. You know, I've, I've shared with my listeners before about the time when I went through a bankruptcy and, Mm -hmm. how ashamed I was at yes. first, you know, and, and yet yes, at another level, and I appreciate that you said this earlier, other human beings on the planet yes. are going through this as well. And one of the things that I learned from that experiences and others is yeah. uh, that our extreme experiences are not extraordinary. That's right. They're not exclusive to us. That's right. And as as we open up to that a little bit, then another interesting yes. thing happens. And I think this is where your programs are so effective with people because mm. you're applying principles. Mm. Principles are natural laws. Uh, right. They affect everybody, right? That's it's right. not it's not that you're a special case, but we get That's into right. that mode. I think thinking that that somehow there's something wrong with me is right. a version of the special case syndrome. That's right. That has exactly. It, it's like a it won't help. It's like a perverse version of narcissism. Like I mean, what I mean by that is yes, we all start out kind of narcissistic, and some people get stuck there and have a personality disorder, but that's rare, right? But mm -hmm. growing out of our self preoccupation is part of our growth as human beings. And I think what you're saying, Paul, was there's this moment of like, I feel ashamed. This isn't the path. This isn't how it was supposed to be. But then it kind of opens you up to, wait a minute, there's a whole bunch of good people who've had the exact same harrowing, heart-wrenching reality. And, you know, it doesn't feel good, but in the other, in another way, it opens you up to compassion. It opens you up to understanding I'm not really that special. And I know that sounds bad, but like there's so much relief in not being that special. <laughs> right? It's like, yes. okay, I'm a human being like everybody else. And I do stupid things just like everybody else. I do brilliant and, and, and good things like everybody else. But like we're all in this together. And there's there's such tremendous relief and compassion in that, or there can be if we will let it open us up to that. This creates the hope. Too. That's right. Because if I'm not a special case, right, 
then maybe that solution actually applies to me as well. That's right. That's right. Starts to create that hope. That's right. What have you seen in your work? Is there hope? Oh my gosh. What's so interesting is that, you know, it's interesting. I know there's some people who do this work and they get burnt out and they get cynical. And mm-hmm. I don't I, I I know there's harder populations than than the population that I work with. But for me, what it is is I see a like life is hard and people are often mm-hmm. going through really painful things. So I'm not in denial about that at all. But there is this sort of larger order, right? That we all seem to be feeling our way towards. It's bittersweet. Don't get me wrong. Is it not a Pollyanna view at all? There's a lot of loss, but there's a lot of beauty as well. And there is this kind of hopefulness that's at the core of all of it, that we can grow, that we can do something differently. As difficult as a situation we may be in, there is still the next step we're going to take. And it can either open us up or close us down. I mean, I think the thing that has felt the most clear to me is that good and evil are very real. Um, And you can choose in line with hope, choose in line with truth, have courage to align yourself with what is right. Or you can move in the sort of more immediate, self-serving, indulgent path and you know, which we all do. Okay. But it closes your life down when you do it. And it and it shuts you down. And so we're often at this decision point around are we going to push ourselves and have the ultimate benefit of that? I don't mean in the next life, I mean in this life. <laughs> or are we going to choose right. in the more indulgent way or the more immediately self, you know, reinforcing way, but then live in a more complicated world because of it? And, mm-hmm. and and so you know I can because I have the privilege of of being a witness to many people's lives that they let me in on this you know I'm able to really see this over and over again and it's it's very powerful and so powerful to watch people take courageous steps in their lives and watch their lives get better watch their way of feeling about themselves shift, watch their marriage shift, watch the way their kids see them shift. You know, it's just really remarkable to see how powerful it is, the impact of our choices on our lives. As you were saying that, I'm I'm feeling 100% agreement with what mm-hmm. you're saying. I think my career in psychology has been the best spectator sport yeah. on the planet. Absolutely. And and you're right that the privilege of observing and being a witness yes. to some of the most difficult, harrowing experiences that people go through also tells us something about the universality That's of right. those experiences. And when we're inside of our own head, it feels so private and personal. That's right. When really... Mm-hmm. It's something that a lot of people are dealing with, and the principles that have been learned and applied by others can be learned and applied personally as well. That's right. That creates a lot of hope in my mind. Yes, it really does. It really does. And yeah, it just allows us to 
yeah, the truth is there. The truths that will help us and help our souls are there for us to see, there for yes. us to gravitate towards. Well, I think you've shared some of those with us here today on this episode, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me here today for this conversation. Jennifer, where can people best connect you? You mentioned some courses and other things that you're offering uh, yeah. to create that hope that we're talking yeah. about. So where do we yeah. where do we go? Sure. Like the best place probably is just to my website because you can find everything there. But that's my name, which is finlayson-fife.com. And on my website, you can, I have a free resource, which is conversations with Dr. Jennifer, which is conversations like this. There is a podcast called Room for Two, where I'm working with couples around issues of sexual intimacy challenges, emotional intimacy challenges. And you can listen in on my input to how they can get out of a stuck place. And then I have five online courses that are about how to develop your sense of self and your sexuality and create a more intimate marriage. So, or intimate relationship. So there's a, you can see when you get on there, some is one for just mm. for men, one just for women, one for parents, and then two for couples. So all that's there. You can also follow me on Instagram or Facebook. All that's there too, but you're, uh, you can read all there. about it on there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Once yeah. again, the website is finlayson, F-I-N-L-A-Y-S-O-N hyphen five f-i-f-e dot com mm -hmm. and all the resources are there it's loaded yes. i've checked it out and uh jennifer you're offering so many good resources uh, yeah. to help address something that i think everybody's thinking about yes but you're talking about it yeah so that's, <laughs> that's <okay>. right yeah <laughs> Folks, you've heard it from one of the experts in the field. It's time now to go live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it. And leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose. <laughs>